0: The following sermon is from Christ Church, Port Orange. For more information, find us online at joinwithjesus.org. Thanks for listening. Uh, open your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Isaiah and turn to chapter 28. We all say Isaiah, even though we should say Isaiah. There is no other name in the Bible that ends with a or I-A-H that we say a We don't say Jeremiah. We don't say Hezekiah. We don't say Jeconiah. But for some reason... We say, Isaiah. (laughs) I tried to change everybody, it doesn't work, so we're just gonna say Isaiah. Isaiah 28. Uh, We are reading the Bible in six months. We are at day 116 of 183. So we're 65% of the way through the Bible, for those of you who are still making it. And we are in a section called the Major Prophets. This is Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel. Somebody told me last week, a way to remember that is the acronym, I just like eating donuts. Isn't that fun? I never heard that one before. That's great. I'll remember that forever. I do remember Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, which is what God's electric power company. Did you guys learn that one in Sunday school? Or Gentiles eat pork constantly. I don't know where these things come from, but they help you remember the scripture order, so we'll use them. Um, Isaiah 28 So here's what I want to do this morning with however much time I can manage. Um, I got the whole chapter in front of me, and we we didn't get to the whole thing in the first service. I learned some things from the first service, and I've made some adjustments. Uh, But we're going to look at Isaiah 28, and here's why. Uh, I have been getting lots of great feedback from people who are joining us in this Bible reading journey, and I've been getting similar themes of response of reading the Old Testament of um, some people saying that it's confusing, that it's a little grotesque, that they're a little appalled by the level of violence. Some of the things God says and does, um, that that it's very foreign and disconnected. I've even had some people say like, I don't ever plan to read it again. Like I'm glad I got it out of the way, but I'm gonna hang out in the New Testament forever uh, just because it's clean and simple and gracious and kind and very, very clear. And there seems to be this juxtaposition, this contrast between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, just by raising of hands, how many of you guys have had some kind of thought like that as you've read the Old Testament? Okay, so a bunch of you. Thanks for being honest. And for the rest of you, thanks for being here. Okay. (laughs) Isaiah 28. Isaiah 28 is a great snapshot of the major prophets. Isaiah is bringing series of warnings or woes. He's speaking of coming calamity he is opposing in very kind of graphic language uh, and, and, uh, and he is charging the leaders of Israel with evil doing and he's doing so publicly and so there's like sarcasm and shame and kind of some grotesque terminology and then there's these prophetic utterances about things that god would do that are filled with ambiguity that are hard to understand and then there's a there's these changes in vocal tone from like the confrontative and angry, down to like um, pleading and appealing and, and kind. And I want you to catch this. These are this is a great chapter because it it, it um, grabs a hold of all of these kind of themes that exist throughout the major prophets and the minor prophets. And so I want us to kind of hang out in Isaiah 28. I want to show you some things because I want you to love your whole Bible, the whole thing. And I want you to see the scriptures as one unifying story that, that's centered on the person of Jesus, and that there's realities that are in here for you today, even though they're sometimes hard to understand. Okay? That's what I want. I don't want you to be afraid of it. I don't want you to be, like, apologetic for it. I don't want you to be like, oh, don't read that Old Testament. That's scary stuff. I want you to know what it means. I want you to, I want you to, like, grow from it and love it and, and sit in it and, and love it. So that's my plan. That's what I want to get done. Um, but before we do that, I'm going to pray and, and um, I'm going to pray with my eyes closed. So if you want to leave, that's a, that's a good <laughs> time. God, we thank you for your word that is about to be read in our hearing. But it is alive. It is inspired at the level of each word. It has been faithfully preserved and translated and it's powerful to transform hearts and lives. God, We are gonna read your word, but your word reads us. And so I pray that its message would find a home in our hearts, that we would have ears to hear and a desire to receive the truth as revealed to us from heaven. And so I just pray, God, that you wouldn't tear down any lies that have been set up against your purposes and that you would magnify Jesus in our eyes. God, I pray for every person that does not know you and has any obstacles that are set in front of them because of a misunderstanding or bad teaching about your word. I pray that you would break those down today and that you would invite them in uh, to experience your rich blessing. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right. So I'm going to read. There's there's four sections. It's really helpful when you take a big chunk of the Bible like this to understand like where you're at and how this is set up. And so if you just Google like an outline of Isaiah, you're going to see that Isaiah is really an incredible book. Li- like literarily, it's 66 chapters, and it's kind of like a microcosm of the whole Bible. There's 66 chapters in the Bible. There's are 66 books in the Bible, and there's 66 chapters in Isaiah. There's 39 books in the Old Testament, and the first 39 chapters of Isaiah are all kind of Old Testament sounding. They're, they're warnings and judgments. And then in chapter 40, there's a shift And the next 27 chapters are really all about the forecast of, of hope and, and peace and forgiveness and the purposes of God's messianic servant. And so there's like a real distinct break there. And there's so much in Isaiah that sometimes theologians will call it the fifth gospel. It's so Jesus-centered. It's so detailed in its prophetic description of God's Messiah that it's like the fifth gospel. And so Isaiah is just a perfect book to be in. And chapter 8, 28 is a great chapter for us as we consider the Old Testament. And so uh, this is at the end of a series of prophecies concerning Judah and Jerusalem, in chapters 1 to 12. So Isaiah is prophesying to Judah and Jerusalem, the southern kingdom. Geography is a little important here. And then there's prophecies in chapters 13 to 27 concerning the nations, so the surrounding nations. And then there's a shift that happens in 28 and then you get these series of woes or warnings in chapters 28 to 35. And so this is the first of those chapters and it is very confrontative and it is charged at the leaders of Israel. And so this chapter then breaks down into four sections. Verses one to eight, which I would call God's confrontation. Verses nine to 13, which I would call God's confounding. He kind of takes on the human experience and expresses frustration with his people. Like I'm confounded at your inability to get this. And then verses fourteen to twenty-two, God's construction—how He's going to build—and that starts with Demo Day, by the way, which is where that judgment comes from. And then section four, which is God's control over this coming judgment. And so these are the sections. And so I want to read these to you and just comment on them lightly. Before I do that, I want to give you like uh, some handles by which you can hold on to as we walk through this chapter. So Tiffany and I celebrated our twenty-first wedding anniversary this past week. Yep. It's beautiful, and so uh, we got a, some, a little bit of time away, not overnight, not yet, we're working on that, uh, but we did get away, and so I booked us a couple's massage. Any of you guys like massages in the house? Any you can massage people? Yeah? I see some of the ladies are going, like, that's what I want for Mother's Day. Uh, so we, we booked a couple's massage. Now, Tiffany will go to the spa more frequently than I will, and she will get massages more frequently, although I don't want to insinuate that somehow I'm sending her to the spa frequently because I'm not. That would be a lie. So... Uh, she should go more than she does, but she likes massages, and so we got a couple's massage. I've had like three in my entire life, and so we go to the couple's to massage, and they, you know, they tell you how to, all the things, and you go to this little room. And there's the two massage tables, and the two, um, what's the word? Is it masseuses? Is that the plural? Uh, <laughs> the Massai. The masseuses come in, and so the, they're both women. The girl that's gonna massage me, she she's she is buff. She's bigger than me. Her she has very strong arms, and she's very small but mighty. And so she's like, this is my table. I'll be taking care of you. And so they, we do the whole thing. And so they ask you, like, do you have any, like, uh, goals in this massage? And I'm like, I didn't know that was a thing, that you could have goals for this. <laughs> anything you want us to work on? And so Tiffany, like, she's done this before, so I let her do the talking. She was like, we're here for relaxation. Don't do these things. We don't, we're not looking to, like, be worked over or anything like that. We're just here to relax. Oh, okay. Massage starts. And um, I don't, we were in the same room, but I don't understand why that was even really necessary, because you don't do a lot of talking during the massage, you're like, "Just you still there? Yeah, yeah, I'm still there. (laughs) So we're we're getting the massage and it starts fine. And then like, I don't know, a third of the way through, this girl's like getting to my back and she gets to that part of my back where you leave all your stress. You know where all your stress lives, like between your shoulder blades and up to the top of your shoulders. And there's all those little stress lumps of like, ooh, this is anxiety right here. And we had told her we're here just for like relaxation. She couldn't resist those little spots. (laughs) And so she's working on them, and I can feel them like she's pushing, and it's like, boom There's like a speed bump, and then she goes back to it. And, I'm, and I, she had said, like, if any point something's uncomfortable, like, just say something, too. But I'm a man, so I'm not going to say, please stop, ow, uncle, uncle, you know? So I'm like, just there, just taking it, just taking it. And I'm like, I'm not built for massages. I'm like massaging a bag of sticks. That's like, that's, like what, essentially, she's having to work with. Like, I feel like I should pay less. Like, I have less muscle density like you do not have to work that hard on me. Like, can me be honest. Anyway, so no deal was had. So she's working over these spots, and there's just a couple times, and I was just like right on the edge of saying something, but I just I didn't. And then at one point, um, Tiffany was like, "Okay, that's too much right there," and I was like, "Oh, that's a thing you can do. You can actually do that." Um, but I didn't. I took it. I took my punishment. And. Uh, as we're leaving, as we're leaving, because she's the professional of this, she's had like twice as many as me. I'm like, so how was that like on the level of like massage? And she looked at me, and she was like, it's like, I was like, so that wasn't great, huh? She's like, everyone's different. She's trying to be nice and positive, and We're still on site. So I don't know who was listening. Um, and so we're talking about this, but I started like my brain source starts clicking. Like, what, what, like, what is the masseuse mind? Like, what is she trying to get done? Like, is she trying to, like, get me to, like, get rid of all this anxiety and stress that I'm carrying in my shoulders? Is she, like, doing me a favor? Or do I remind her of an (laughs) ex-boyfriend? Like, I really had this thought. Like, she gets to this spot, and she's like, oh, this is going to hurt. Just see. And just wondering how long before he squirms, you know, like, pushing me to the limit. And I'm just, like, replaying this experience. And I'm like, I don't. And and here's what would answer it. If 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 I knew her, then I would be able to tell. Do you know? But I don't. And so I just squirm under the punishing pain <laughs> of this massage. You're wondering, where's, where is he going with this, right? <laughs> Here, here's, where, here's where. When we don't know God really truly and deeply, when we read the Old Testament, it becomes really hard to tell if, if he's just angry and punishing, vindictive, or if he's actually trying to work something out. Or maybe he's trying to do something for us that we don't even know we need him to work on. And so this is Isaiah 28. And so I want to just breeze through these things and I want to just point to a couple things. Number one, section one, verses one to eight, God's confrontation. Somebody say confrontation. This is gross, by the way. So if you have a weak stomach, you may want to, oh. Verse one, ah, the proud crown of the drunkards of Ephraim and the fading flower of its glorious beauty, which is on the head of the rich valley of those overcome with wine. Behold, The Lord has one who is mighty and strong like a storm of hail and a destroying tempest, like a storm of mighty overflowing waters. He casts down to the earth with his hands. So this is his way of saying, buckle up, buttercup. Judgment is coming. Verse three, the proud crown of the drunkards of Ephraim will be trodden underfoot. And there's a play on words here. So Israel is God's people. The kingdoms are divided, 10 tribes to the north, two tribes to the south, Judah and Benjamin, and this group often is called Judah or Jerusalem, its capital city, while the northern kingdom is Israel and sometimes associated with Samaria, its capital city. But it has the 10 tribes, including the half tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh. And Ephraim means fruitful. And so Prophet Isaiah is using the name Ephraim to speak of the northern kingdom because he's playing off of the fruitfulness and the fact that the leaders of Israel have become corrupt and self indulgent and are reaping all the benefits of being under God's blessing, but they have turned in their hearts away from God. And so instead of honoring his will towards only using alcohol for celebration and for cheering the hearts of man, now they're becoming overly indulgent and drunkards and they're becoming insatiably corrupt. Now this is completely disconnected from anything in our society. There's no governments that are corrupt anymore. Nobody does this, takes bribes and co, Never mind. <laughs> so this is the picture, verse four, and the fading flower of its glorious beauty, which is on the head of the rich valley. So these are crowns worn with flowers wrapped around them. They were made frequently because the flowers wilt. It was a winner's crown. And um, it, was, it was a bragging wealthy thing to wear. But it says, you will be like the first ripe fig before the summer. When someone sees it, he swallows it as soon as it's in his hand. Super, super ripe fruit. And it's not when you expected it to be there, and so you scarf it up. Verse five. In that day, the day... The Lord of hosts will be a crown of glory, a new crown, and a diadem of beauty to who? The remnant of his people, the remnant, those left over after the judgment, and a spirit of justice to him who sits in judgment and strength to those who turn back, at the, uh, turn back the battle at the gate. So there will be this small group of people who will need strength and need wisdom and need judgment because they will have pr- been preserved through the coming judgment, and God says he's gonna be something different to that group at that point. Verse seven, these also reel with wine and stagger with strong drink, the priests and the prophet. Now Isaiah moves south into Jerusalem as that's where the priests and prophets existed. Reel with strong drink. They are swallowed by wine. They stagger with strong drink. They reel in vision. They stumble in giving judgment for all tables are full of filthy vomit with no space left. You thought you'd been in a gross restaurant before. I'll never forget when Tiffany and I went on our baby moon before Evie was born. We went to Miami and we had a really fun time. And we went to bed like normal people around 11 o'clock after dinner. And everybody in Miami partied all night. And at 5.30 in the morning, when I got up to get us our cup of coffee, I was watching the city workers pressure wash the sidewalk. Woo, look like this. This is a picture of indulgence and great evil and corruption and God's confronting it. Now, let me just say one thing right here. Um, a lot of times you'll get these New Testament evangelical messages that say things like, blanket statement, God's not angry. God's not angry. God loves you. God's not angry. Um, That is not true. Uh, And when you read God being angry, it's because he is. He's real mad. And here's why. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. You cannot be true in your love and not be angry when you are betrayed. Do you know that? And in fact, the presence of anger often means it's because you are hurt because of how greatly you love the person that hurt you. Do you understand? If you don't, the, the opposite of love is not anger. It's indifference. If you go off and do your own thing and I don't care about you, then I'm not angry. But if I do care about you and you're doing the wrong thing, especially if you're the leaders of the people who have the covenant and the promise for everybody else, And now the rescuers need rescuing. And at the center of that are these people who have been corrupted and are acting vilely and violently and doing awful things. God's angry. And so if someone tells you he's not, they're lying to you. God's angry. Now, God does something about his anger and he doesn't always bring that anger on everyone all the time because he's merciful and gracious and kind. And in fact, the prophetic voice is there because God is trying to beckon repentance and return and he always forgives anybody that would return to him. But his anger is not, is not then mitigated simply because he is also loving. And that is a vast oversimplification of the nature and character of God. Do you hear that? Secondly, the second section, we look at God's confounding. Someone say confounding. And I love this too, because all throughout the prophets, God personifies himself in the human experience. God will say to you, like, I'm, I'm experiencing this pain. Like a lot of times he talks about being cheated on or having his, his bride committing adultery. He wants you to see how broken and hurting and betrayed he feels because you were made in God's image and because you have feelings, God has feelings. Do you know that? He had feelings first. He had a heart before you had a heart. He had a mind before you had a mind. He had a will before you had a will. You're made in his image. And so he comes into our world. Now, he, sometimes he does that and he, he's confounded, but he knows everything. So don't get this wrong, but he says, to whom will he teach knowledge? And to whom will he explain the message? Those who are weaned from the milk, those taken from the breast? He's saying you guys are so immature, you're like babies. Like how am I supposed to like communicate anything to you because all you want is That's it. And so the message you can't handle the message. And so what does it become? Precept upon precept, line upon line, here little there little. All I'm giving to you, the way you're hearing the word and revelation of God is do this and don't do that. That's how simple you are. That's how immature you are. And so God's confounded and that comes across. And if you don't have a category for God communicating about this this way, then you'll miss it. then he says in verse 11, for by people of strange lips and with a foreign tongue, the Lord will speak to his people, to whom he has said, this is rest to give rest to the weary. And this is repose yet they would not hear. Now listen to what's happening here. Now this can be a little confusing, but the the prophet is speaking for God and saying, listen, there is a rest to be had, but it's not a rest that the leaders get to experience Why they drink too much and party too much and boast too much, and everybody else is under the weight of that. This is what rest is, is when you as leaders provide rest to the weary when you are sacrificing yourself for the purposes of the good of all people, setting an example of righteousness and justice, and this is what you are not doing. And so judgment is coming. And then there's two layers happening prophetically that regularly happen. The first is the immediate application. And that is that a foreign army is going to come in and destroy Israel and then destroy Judah. And when that, those people come, they are going to speak a foreign language that the Israelites do not understand and that should terrify them. Do you see this? very clearly on the surface of what this means. But like much of the Old Testament, there's an underlying prophetic meaning that becomes fulfilled as God's plan of salvation is unfolded for everyone. God doesn't tell everyone everything all at the same time. Did you know that? He's always unfolding his plan. And so when you get to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and Paul is writing to the Christian church, he's become infatuated with this new gift of tongues that the Holy Spirit has poured out and everyone gets together and everyone jabbers in tongues nonstop and it's nonsensical and no one can make any sense of it. He goes, stop it. This is a thing that God did as an act of judgment against unbelieving Israel. He's actually fulfilling Isaiah 28. In verse 11 that by people of strange lips and with a foreign tongue the lord will speak to his people he's doing this thing to say israel has rejected god god is doing a new thing and that was where the gift of tongues began and he applies that by saying this is a sign for unbelievers but there's the sign for believers to evoke faith this prophetic gift that you would communicate the heart of god that people would experience what god means and feels and says and they'll be drawn to him and that doesn't happen when they don't understand what you're saying that was his line in first Corinthians 14. And so whenever you're reading your Bible and you have these connections to the New Testament and they're in the footnotes there, whatever, you should read them and see how these things fit together because God wants to speak. And he continues in verse 13, the word of the Lord will be to them, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little, that they may go and fall backward and be broken and snared. This is actually gonna cause them to miss the point. And isn't this what happens when we get to the gospels? Jesus shows up on the scene, the eternal God-man, the, the Isaiah 9:6, wonderful counselor, everlasting father, mighty God, prince of peace. He's coming here. He knows everything, saw everything. Everything was made by him. And he's speaking and teaching and he's healing and doing miracles. And what happens? The Pharisees, the religious leaders, what do they do? Um, you can't heal on the Sabbath. Come back and be healed on Monday, everybody, or Sunday, not, not on Saturday. That's not, on page 327, line A, that says, no, you can't do that. Line upon line, precept upon precept they become so fixated because they received it without understanding that they are now judging God by the very revelation that they've been given. And what happens, Jesus says, guys, um, I made that day and I made you and I gave it to you as a gift. In fact, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. So forget about line A of page 325, because I'm here now and that's what this is all about. And they are like, kill him! and it caused their falling away. Do you see how this worked? And so you see how all this fits together? So God's confounded that this is the state of Israel, but he's now using it to bring about his eventual purposes, which brings us to section three, God's construction. Somebody say construction. And this is about who do you trust? And in order for this to make sense, you have to understand the context of this chapter, because this is during Hezekiah's reign, and the impulse for Ephraim in the northern kingdom was that when Assyria was attacking from the north, Instead of letting God fight your battles, they reached out to Egypt in the south to come to their defense. And they made a deal with Egypt to defend them against Assyria. And instead of pursuing God, they turned their back on God and went right back to their former captors. But God's gonna do something. God's gonna build something so much more powerful than that. Look at verse 14. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers, who rule this people in Jerusalem, because you have said... We have made a covenant with death and with Sheol we have an agreement. When the overwhelming whip passes through, it will not come to us. For we have made lies our refuge and in falsehood we have taken shelter. Therefore, thus says the Lord God. You ready for the good news in Isaiah 28? Behold, I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. You made a deal with the devil to avoid the judgment that's coming your way because of what you've done wrong, and I'm sending that judgment. Don't think that you're going to get away from it, but I'm doing a thing that you don't have to run from. I love this last line. Whoever believes will not be in haste. Sounds like Shakespeare. What does that mean? How many of you guys use the phrase in haste in the last, I don't know, 60 years? (laughs) In haste, make haste. Here's the, it's a word picture. This is haste. This is when you go, something bad happens, you're caught off guard and you go, "Huh? Huh?" You ever do that? You ever have a wasp in your hair? Nothing? Anything like that? Huh? Ha, 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 ha. This is to make haste. I love the way the NIV gets it. It says, "The one who relies on this foundation will never be stricken with panic because you'll never be caught off guard by God's judgment." because you'll never be swept away when God brings his judgment on the earth. Your feet are firmly planted. Why? Because God's constructing something. Listen, the world needs to hear this. There's Christians that need to hear this. Some of you are making deals with the devil. I'm serious. And the devil is Citibank, MasterCard, 401k, a relationship you shouldn't be in. There's that thing you turn to when something bad happens or is about to happen, and you know you shouldn't, and you don't turn to the Lord, you turn to a bottle or some pills, or a relationship, or money, or debt, or whatever it is, and that's your go-to. And God's saying, no, no, no. I'm doing something that you can build your life on. You're over here making a deal with lies that will come for you and will have bondage you, will send you to hell, essentially, but I'm building something that you can build your life upon. Look at this, verse 17. I will make justice the line and righteousness the plumb line, and hail will sweep away the refuge of lies and waters will overwhelm the shelter. Then your covenant with death will be annulled and your agreement with Sheol will not stand. Aren't you glad we serve a God who can annul your covenant with death? Aren't you glad you can come in here having made some bad choices, having turned to the wrong thing, having wasted some years of your life? thinking you had the answers or they had the answers or money would fix the problem. And you are in here up to here in trouble. And God says, I can make that covenant disappear. And I can set your feet upon a rock because God's building something. Listen, the Israelites didn't know what God was building, but he forecasted it. It was a stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. This is what God was doing. He says, he says, as often as this scourge passes through, it will take you. Morning by morning, it will pass through. Day by night, you're not gonna be exempt. Your deal was rotten, and it's coming for you. And it's, it will be sheer terror to understand the message. And I love this picture in verse 20. This is another prophetic little piece. For the bed is too short to stretch oneself on and the covering too narrow to wrap oneself in. Listen, if you don't get right with God, here's how you spend your life. Your days are fraught with worry, and your nights are trying to get comfortable, and you can't like sleeping on a bed that's too short. You ever had to share a bed with a six-year-old? You ever be a little cold and you're trying to cover up with a table runner? Huh? Huh? There's no peace, there's no rest, there's no security, there's no warmth. And God's calling you to abandon this agreement with death and to build, why? Because he's the deliverer. Yes, he's the sender of judgment. God doesn't need us to apologize for the fact that he raised up one, the Assyrians, Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonians, to come execute judgment. He did that. He doesn't need us to apologize for it. But he's also the rescuer and he's calling everyone to turn to him and run to him and be rescued. Do you understand this? And both of these things can be true at the same time. In the same way that God can be both loving and angry, it depends on, listen, God is never angry at you in Christ. Do you know that? Once you've turned to him and come home to him, you're his. He's not angry at you anymore. He's angry at your enemy. He's angry at your abuser. He's angry at your persecutor. And his anger's still out there hovering over every enemy of the gospel. But once you're in him, you're his and you're protected. Do you get this? So if someone says God's not angry and that's what they mean, they're right. But if they say God's not angry because God's never angry, they're wrong. Do you understand? And the same is true for the fact that God sends judgment and God delivers from judgment. The fact is, are you on his side or not? Do you understand? The great judgment is coming. The question is, are you his? Look, verse 21, for the Lord will rise up as on Mount Parazim, as in the Valley of Gibeon, he will be roused to do his deed. Strange is his deed and to work his work. Alien is his work. Now, if you guys knew these stories the way the Israelites did, when you saw Mount Parazim, you would know exactly that story. And if you saw the Valley of Gibeon, you know exactly that story but since you're not ancient Near Eastern Israelites, let me clue you in. Mount Perazim was second Samuel chapter five, when David had just become the king of Israel and taken over Jerusalem from the Jebusites and the Philistines came against him and he was sure to perish and he sought the Lord. Am I to fight against them? Will you deliver them into my hands? And God said, surely I will deliver them into your hands. And David went out there, got his big boy boots on, trusted God and went into a dangerous situation where all human wisdom said he's gonna be killed. And when he stepped out on the battle line, hail fell from heaven and killed all the Philistines right in front of him. Didn't see that coming. Didn't check the radar. And cue the golf ball size hail. That's interesting. That's one way to do it. How about in the Valley of Gibeon? What's this? This is Joshua chapter 10. Joshua's conquesting into the land of Canaan. He's facing down his enemies and he had to fight the Ammonites. And what happens? He has a small army against a big army, but the Lord delivered him. This was, remember Joshua chapter 10? Sun stand still. You ever prayed an impossible prayer no one ever thought of before? Did not see that coming. Strange are the works of God. Alien are his works. Listen, if you think God can only ever do what he's already done in here, you don't know God. Do you know this? Listen, we serve a God who will deliver by means never before seen, who will move in our lives in things we never could have expected. The question is how he will save you. The fact is we know that he will. He's, he's made a foundation stone, and that foundation stone is Jesus. Psalm 118, he's the stone the builders rejected. Matthew 21, he has to be rejected. Jesus said it of himself, I'm the cornerstone. Acts chapter 4, Peter preaching to the Sanhedrin. He says, you rejected him, but God has made him the chief cornerstone. He has set the church on top of him. Ephesians chapter four, he's building all of this on Jesus. He's the anchor point. He's the center. He's the stone. God's building something. And Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. God's rescued you out of the deal you made with the devil. He's brought you into his family. He's building a place of security and he's gonna deliver you from all of the coming judgment. And you don't need to be afraid. You don't need to know how he's gonna do it. Just sit back and watch. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? All right, I'm out of time. I thought I'd have more time. I have less time. Uh, I'm just gonna say this quickly. Section four is about God's control over the coming judgment. And this is really important because I don't ever want you to read the Old Testament and think God's losing his mind on you or the Old Testament um, counterparts of faith. God's not like blowing his lid. God doesn't do that. You know that? God, doesn't, God does everything perfectly perfectly calculated and he's working out a plan and everything has purpose and everything is done with equity and justice 100% of the time. Do you know that? God is not cruel. God is not vindictive. He is not driving his thumb into the shoulder blade of another person, just getting all the vindictive rage from the last breakup out. Oh, girl, you will say this hurts. You know, I don't know. But, but if you don't know God, you may read that and go, wow, God, that's a little heavy handed there, isn't it? But this whole section, you can read it later, he uses all these farming analogies to go, listen, God's not overdoing it. God's doing just enough to bring the good stuff out of the bad stuff. God is doing just enough to bring the, the, the fruitfulness, just like Ephraim, just like the valley, just like all of God's blessing. He's gonna bring that out. and He's gonna get rid of the bad stuff. The question is, are you gonna be the good stuff? Are you gonna be the bad stuff? This is what Jesus talked about in the, 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 the parable of the soils. The, the word is sown, are you gonna receive it or not? It's not about the seed, it's about the condition of the soil of your heart, do you understand? And that's what this whole section is about. But I wanna, I'll leave that for your study because I wanna close right here. Um, we need a vibrant experience of the Old Testament because we still live in an age where impending judgment is coming. It's not coming on believers. We're gonna be saved through that judgment. We're that remnant, we're that ones who are gonna be left and we're gonna have everything that we need. But there is a judgment coming. Do you realize this? And the clear teaching of the New Testament is that God's delay in bringing final judgment to the earth is only because of his patient endurance to see every single person have an opportunity to turn to Jesus in faith and repentance. Do you know this? But we are people who carry the message of salvation, and part of that message of salvation is that death and destruction and judgment are coming. And we can't pretend that's not part of the message. We can't bury that in the terms of, of an agreements, just check the box, it'll be fine. Press continue, it's in there, you can read it later. No, this is part of our message. Now, uh, listen, I was, Tim and I were talking about this recently. We, we, are on, we are on like the verge of financial collapse in the economy right now. If you don't know that, I'm here to tell you. Since 2021, uh, the current administration has so drastically inflated the money supply that our dollars right now are worthless and we don't even know it yet. In any moment, the whole house of cards falls down. They're gonna pretend that it won't happen and that they are pretending they have control over it, but they do not have control over it. We have, I'm talking about in 2008, we saw a 7% increase in the money supply in order to mitigate the housing crisis that happened in the early 2000s. Since 2021, the Fed has increased the money supply 38.5%. Our money is worthless. It's all a house of cards, and it's all a matter of what's gonna break first. And when it breaks, the whole thing's gonna collapse. Isn't that exciting? But they will, but you turn on any network television, they will lie to you about everything's under control. Interest rates are solving it, everything's gonna be fine, all the smart people are making all the right decisions, don't you worry, (gasps) because if you worry and you do something to, to, to start this, the whole thing's gonna fall down. That's what's happening. That's just happening, okay? But here's the other thing. Um, Any moment, the sky could be rend and Jesus is gonna come back and you're gonna give an account for everything you did in your life. That's also happening. Listen, we'll recover from financial collapse, right? And we'll come out tougher for it too, just like our grandparents did. But you won't recover from the final consummation. And so I'm pleading with you, listen, to the testimony of the one true God who loves you with a love undescribable, who has broken the bars of death and hell and is offering you a sure foundation on which to build your life. Believe his warnings. Believe them and avoid them and become part of this remnant, this faithful remnant that receives from God everything he wants to give you. This is the message of the whole Bible, not just Isaiah, not just the Old Testament. This is the big picture, and it centers on the person of Jesus. And the invitation is to you is to trust God and to put your life into his hands. You can't buy what he wants to give you. He says, come, buy without price. Get the good stuff and get it for free. All it takes is all of you. Bring all of you to me. I'll take you, and you take all of this. This is how this deal works, and it's the best deal you'll ever receive. Somebody say amen. But to pretend like the fall and collapse isn't coming would be a lie. And so we read the Old Testament, we see the example of the Israelites, we see the the fall, the great fall, and we see the faithfulness of God to fulfill his purposes, ultimately in Jesus, and then finally in the consummation. And this is the gap we stand in. And so let us be people who walk in that reality for ourselves, who love God and follow after him and live life like it's gonna end any moment, amen? And let us be people who are not afraid or embarrassed for God, because he's not afraid or embarrassed for himself. Amen? And so, God, we receive your word. We're out of time for a song, but God, we receive your word. And Lord, I I believe that you're doing work in hearts right now. I believe that you are drawing those who have turned to arrangements with enemies for their own safety, and you're calling them to come back to you and let you break those arrangements, annul those covenants. And I just pray that they would do that right now in repentance and faith. They would just run to you and trust you and believe you and not be afraid. God, and I pray for those in my hearing uh, who do not really know you and have always kind of wondered if you're just angry or unhinged or incapable or maybe even evil. I just pray, Lord, that as, as we look to Jesus, we would see your eternal plan to bring salvation to not just us individually or Israel as a nation, but to the whole world. But your offering, that's us to be received by faith. And I just pray right now, God, as they're experiencing your spirit drawing them personally, that they would respond by personally connecting with you and by faith crying out to you. And just praying in a simple prayer, God, I believe you, I trust you. Please forgive me. Please take my life. Be my savior, my king. And if you can pray a simple prayer like that immediately You're you're given a new heart and a new mind. You're made new. And you're part of God's saved kingdom, his remnant. And so, Lord, I just believe right now that you're doing that all throughout those in my hearing. And I pray, Lord, that you would continue to build your kingdom, do what only you can do in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen. amen.